Well, I'll say again, Merry Christmas. This is my favorite time of the year. Anybody with me? Okay. Definitely my favorite time of the year. Get a little bit of feedback up here, Joe. Maybe down just a hair. Great. Thank you. Um, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, one verse. And then we're going to talk about it a little bit. So I just want to invite you to, to if you would, stand back up. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 9, 15. If you have a copy of God's Word, please follow along, and uh, if not, just listen, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name again. God, thank you that we can continue to worship, that we can uh, sing here together. Uh, that we can hear the word proclaimed. Um, God, I pray that the word of Christ would dwell richly in us now. Um, as we've sung these glorious songs, as we've confessed together that Christ is our hope in life and in death, and now as we hear from you through your word and your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you give us grace to hear what you have to say to us now. We love you. Thank you for Jesus, and pray this in his name. Amen. You can be seated. All right. I want to... Uh, Ask you a question and then tell you a story real quick. Um, think back in your mind to uh, the greatest Christmas memory you have. Uh, I don't know if for you there was like, a, like one Christmas or one particular gift or something that you really, well, maybe when you were a kid, <clears throat> maybe for some of you it was this year, I don't know. I don't know. But um, so just think about that for a second. Greatest gift you ever got. The greatest gift for me that I ever remember getting I don't remember what year it was, so I was probably eight or nine, somewhere around there, and I remember all year. Uh, this is like the true story, Christmas story. You guys seen the movie Christmas Story? Okay, that actually happened to me, okay? So I wanted, a, but it wasn't a BB gun, it was a twenty two rifle. I wanted one so bad. I, I wanted one, I just wanted to be able to shoot, and we'll go hunting, and um, with my dad, and um, so I wanted one for a long time. And Christmas comes around, and we open all the presents. Anticipation is building. Um, and we get through all the presents, same thing. No twenty-two rifle. And, you know, it's kind of like you, a little bit disappointed, but then you, like, feel bad for being disappointed, you know. But, but it's, yeah, I, I, there was no twenty-two rifle. And uh, so my dad tells me, he says, just close your eyes. And I did. And he goes, and he comes back, and he has with him a long, slender box. And immediately I knew what, what it was. It was a Browning 22, 22 lever-action rifle. Still have it to this day. It'll be Sam's one day. The anticipation was building so much. Um, has something come to your mind yet about, for you, what the greatest gift you ever received? Today we're going to talk about the greatest gift. I'm going to read a few more passages, a few more verses, and I just want you to listen. Uh, this is what God has to say to us. There again in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. If you have your Bible, you can turn over quickly to Romans 6.23. Most of us know this passage, this verse. Even if you don't know where it's at, you probably have heard it before. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3, starting in verse 22. 
There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The immediate context here of this verse from 2 Corinthians 9 is that Paul is explaining to the church at Corinth that because God is a generous, and look y'all, Pastor William just shared with us, exceeded the goal that we had for uh, Lottie Moon in one Sunday. Every penny of that is going to support missionaries on the field who need support. Like, this is, that, that's the proper response to this passage is exceedingly generous giving, joyful giving. And that's what Paul is saying here, that because God is a generous giver, we too should be generous. But just think about all this also for a second. What is the inexpressible gift God has given to us? The word Paul uses here for inexpressible, it's not a regularly occurring word in the New Testament. We were on the way last night to uh, Operation Christmas Child, and so if you see anybody nodding in here, just understand that's probably why we were out late packing shoeboxes. But uh, on the way there, we were listening to some song, and I heard the word menagerie. Did you know that's an English word? Probably because you don't use it very much. It means a collection of things, like, like, like things that are alike. Or absquatulate. You know what that word means? It's a verb, and it means to go away quickly. And you'd say, why wouldn't you just say, let's go away quickly? But you know when you use these words that you don't really know what they, what they mean, it causes you to say, what does that word mean? That's kind of what Paul's getting at here. He's using this word that's not used very often. And he's saying, this gift, I really need you to understand. It's not like any other gift. It's inexpressible. This is the only time it's even used in the New Testament. It's Paul's way of communicating that this gift from God it, it, he is incapable of describing this gift. Language falls short. Now, probably some of us know people for whom language never falls short, right? Um, but some of us, we're in a place where, uh, think back over your, in, in your uh, kind of your memory box, so to speak. Again, what was the greatest gift you ever got? What was a great memory that you, uh, you, that you have that in the moment words fell short? Maybe it's when you held your, your baby, your, your baby for the first time. Words fall short. Don't have any words to say. And if you tried to say something, everybody around would know. These, these words just don't cut it. Maybe you're thinking of, uh, this happens to me pretty regularly. I love going outside. And I love looking up into the sky at night when it's clear. And words just fall short. Maybe you're thinking of your spouse, your wife on, on your wedding day. And you say, man, there's just no words. Like, we have a bunch of English words, but we don't have any for this. What was happening to you in that moment? Just really think about it. Like, go back there for a minute. If it was your, holding your baby. Just think about it for a second. What was actually happening in you? You don't have the words to say. You try to evoke the words. They don't come. You just marvel. The words aren't enough, they're not good enough to express how you feel. That's what Paul is saying here. The gift that God has given, words cannot communicate how glorious and how great it actually is. So what is the gift? Around this season, we talk a lot about love 
and joy and hope and peace. And, and we should do that. We need to talk about those things at this time of year. These are good things. But are they what Paul is speaking about here? What's the gift that should compel us to give generously, to freely give, to help others? Two more verses. One's in 2 Corinthians 8. If your Bible's still open, you can just flip back one, one page probably. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. John 3.16. I was uh, at the gas station yesterday putting gas in the church van, and uh, th- this gentleman came up to me and was talking to me, and uh, he saw the church. He saw the name of the church on the side of the van. And so we talked for a few minutes, and this is one of the verses that came out of his mouth. John 3.16. You know why everybody knows John 3.16? Because everybody needs to know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave this is what God's love does. It always acts. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. So what is the gift? And I think the bigger question we could ask is, who is the gift? This inexpressible gift, the gift for which words fall short in describing, the gift that should compel you and I to give generously, freely give, and love others unconditionally, is not a particular thing. It is, in fact, a person. And it's not just a person, it's the person. I just want you to listen to this. And I'll, here's what I want you to do. Just take a minute, 20 seconds or so, and I just want you to pray where you are before I read these passages. Because these are the passages in the New Testament that describe Jesus. So I want you to take a minute, and I just want you to pray. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read. Father, give us grace to see Jesus. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3. God has appointed Jesus the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Give us grace to see Jesus. In His name. So this is not just a person, it is the person. This is Jesus. There's a great song that's out on the radio right now by We Are Messengers called This Is Jesus. 
And that's what the song is about. That's what Peter says in his, in his sermon at Pentecost. He says, this Jesus, there's not another one. We're talking about this one. Not some, uh, something that you've made up in your own mind, some Jesus you've created out of what you think he ought to be like. No, this one. He is the one who is truly God and truly man. He is the one who has always existed, and through him everything was made. He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He was the gift given. One thing that I think is interesting here is uh, we just sang, um, or have over the last couple of weeks probably, you've sang several times already, come let us adore him. This is what happens a lot of times when we're confronted with Jesus, is uh, we think of maybe um, come let us analyze him. Like, let me think about this. Let me, let me figure out if I can... Uh, answer all the hard questions about Jesus. What is it? We had this conversation on Wednesday night in our class. What does it mean that Jesus was truly God, truly man? Those are important questions. But what first marks your faith? Is it adoration? Is it marveling? Just a few places where we see this in Scripture. You remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? You know what she did? She left her water, water pots and she ran back into town telling everybody who Jesus was. She marveled. She adored him. The wise men, they fell down and they worshiped. It says in Matthew 2, Pastor Brandon preached about this last Sunday, that when they saw Jesus and Mary, they fell down. The shepherds, it says in Luke 2, that they were glorifying and praising God when they saw Jesus. John the Baptist, this is a crazy one. Do you know what John the Baptist did? Before he was even born, he leapt in the womb for joy when he was in the presence of Jesus. That's pretty crazy. That's awesome. What does Jesus do? Do When you encounter Jesus, do you first go into, let me think about this? Did you do that when your child was born? And had somebody come in the room and started to try to do that, what would you have said? Hey, can you just be quiet for a second? Just let me adore. Just let me marvel. Just let me sit here for a minute. This is what all these people did when they encountered Jesus. I said earlier that these things, love, joy, peace, hope, they're not the ultimate gift from God, though they certainly are good gifts from God. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. But I want you to consider this for a minute, how Paul closes his letter to the church at Rome. Another church, and Paul's talking to them, and this is what he's saying here. He tells them that he desires for them to believe, but this belief is not an end in itself. It leads to all joy and peace. And we got to know what Paul means when he says in believing. So I'm just going to ask a question real quick. Whatever you believe in, whatever you trust in, does that belief has it led you to all joy and peace? If so, praise the Lord. If not, why not? The virtue of belief is not merely what Paul is talking about here. It's not the measure of belief that brings about joy and peace. A couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity to teach on Wednesday night. We talked about this a little bit. We live in a season, in a, in a culture, also in a season like that we're in right now, where people would say it's... it's uh, the virtue of faith. Just believe in something, right? Just believe in something. Do you have faith? 
And uh, just think about this for a second. Has anybody watched It's a Wonderful Life this year yet? Oh, man. Okay, Al has. All right, so yes, you've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Just imagine this, okay? Two people, two guys walking down the road. I'm asking that for a reason because of the ice scene. Two guys walking down the road. One of them, they see a, a pond. It's frozen over. One of them says, we can walk across that. No problem. The other one says, I'm not real sure about this. I don't think it's going to hold us. But together, they walk across. Now, does the ice hold? If, if it holds one of them, it's going to hold both of them. Is it because one had really strong faith and one didn't? Did the ice hold the one that had the really? No. It's because they placed their faith in the right thing. Now, if you come across some, a, a pond that's frozen and it's not really very thick, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is. If you step into it and it's not thick enough, it's not going to hold you and you're going to go sinking down. Faith in and of itself is not virtuous. The object of your faith is the issue. What are you placing your faith in? And that's what Paul is saying here. He says that all joy and peace come in believing, trusting. What we know he means from everything else that he said in his epistles is that, again, it's not merely the virtue of belief or trust. It is the object of your belief and trust in Jesus. So that's what everybody says this time of year. Place your faith. Do you have faith? Believe? Hope? All these click words that we need to say, man, they consummate in the person of Christ. They don't. They're really not. They're not anything. All the promises Christ makes, I'm sorry, all the promises Christmas makes, all the gifts Christmas promises are only found in Jesus. So let me ask you this question, because we kind of did this. And the only reason we didn't do it sooner is because we just didn't have time. Who in here started to decorate earlier this year than you normally do? Okay. Anybody in here start listening to Christmas music earlier than you normally do? Anybody in here listen to Christmas music all year round? Okay, good. A few people do. For, I just want you to think about this, because I've had this conversation with a few people over the last month or so. Uh, when people say, oh, I just, I just wanted to decorate early. My question has been, I did too. Why do we want to do that? <laughs> Pretty soon, we're going to bypass Halloween, right? We're going to be decorating for Christmas in September, why do we do this? I think it's because we are grasping, and this is the conversation I've had so many times, we're grasping at something in the Christmas season that only the Christ of Christmas can deliver. And the very best Christmas, oh, the very best that Christmas gives is a foretaste of eternity with Jesus. Um, and probably in your house, maybe you, if you haven't done this yet, maybe you're going to do it in the next couple of weeks. Going to make Christmas desserts or Christmas cakes or Christmas pretzels in our house. We do. It's kind of like that. When you're a kid, or maybe when you're a full-grown adult, do you lick the icing off the whisk as you're making something? Or your kids run up to you, can I lick the, the spatula or whatever? You know what that is? That lick of the icing is a promise. Did you know this? You know what it's a promise of? That something greater is coming. 
If you just lick that, how many of you, uh, that, you do that on special occasions when you know there's something, there's a cake in the oven, and I'm going to have that later on. This is just a foretaste. How many of you just go to your pantry, you don't have to raise your hand, randomly when there's not a cake in the oven and just eat icing by the spoonfuls? Hopefully nobody in here does that. But we do that because we know it's linked to a promise. Like I'm licking this icing that is the down payment of a, of a promise of what's coming next. I know what's coming because I've tasted this. And that's what Christmas does. That icing is delicious. It's a taste of what's coming. But it is also pointing beyond itself to something greater. This is what Christmas is. Jesus Christ, God's gift to us, took on flesh 2,000 years ago. He was born under the law, but he never sinned. He laid aside his divine rights and he lived humbly. He told us himself that he came not to be served, but to serve. Let that sink in for a minute. He came not to be served. The king of heaven and earth came not to be served, but to serve. Again, adoration. (laughs) Marvel. Even though he never sinned, he was brutally killed like a common criminal on a Roman cross. But what happened to the cross was the Son of God, the one who never sinned, was treated as a sinner. We learn from the Scriptures that He bore the punishment of our sins in His body on the tree. And three days later, He was raised from the dead, having defeated death for us. Then He ascended back into heaven where He sits on the right hand of the Father and is ruling and reigning over all things. This is the reason that belief in Christ, trust in Him. He's not in the grave anymore. He has been raised back to life, and we trust Him. We don't trust an ideology. We don't trust a doctrine. We trust a person. He is alive. He is seated in glory now, ruling over all things. This is why trusting Him is the necessary sphere for all joy and peace. Jesus lived sinlessly in our place because we could not. He took the punishment that we deserved for all who would believe on him and what what he did and accomplished at the cross. Now because he lives, we too shall live. Those two passages we read earlier from Romans 3 and Romans 6 talk about that we're justified by his grace as a gift in Christ. You say, well, it says grace is the gift. Justification by grace, free gift from God, eternal life. Both of those things, if you read those passages, Both of them say that the sphere for both of those to happen, eternal life and justification by grace, happen in Christ. He is the gift. And this is why Paul finishes this verse in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is kind of what the season of Advent is all about. We talk about Christmas leading up. And then historically, in some traditions, we've talked about the the Sunday after Christmas, the second coming, the second Advent. What Jesus has done for us at the cross is intended to evoke hope for what he's going to do in the future for us. We look back in faith. We look forward in hope. Believing in King Jesus, the one who now rules and reigns as the sovereign king over all creation, leads to all joy and peace. And by the Holy Spirit, we will abound in hope. So what I hope you think of this Christmas, as you give gifts, maybe this Christmas is going to be that Christmas that you remember for the rest of your life. Um, This Christmas, for many in this room, is going to be a hard Christmas. All the things that that kind of come to the surface at Christmas are, they're glimmers, 
And the best of Christmas points to heaven, and the hardest parts about Christmas point to heaven. But Jesus himself is the greatest gift. What if every present you open this year, you stopped and you said, this is just a foreshadowing. This is just a pointer. This gift is pointing to the greatest gift. He is the inexpressible gift. He is the one who fulfills all the promises that Christmas makes. And to end where we started, with the gift being great, but even greater because of who, the gift, who gave the gift. You know why that gift was so great when I was seven or eight years old? Because it was a gift that I really wanted, but also because my dad gave it to me. And when I think about this, this is where the doctrine of the Trinity, our attempt to understand the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is to say it's absolutely necessary because when we talk about this, every illustration falls short. My dad gave me a gift. The gift was something different than my dad. God, in Christ, is the gift and the giver. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that astounding? Shouldn't that cause us to, to just stand in awe of what God has done for us in Christ? So this Christmas, please, as you open gifts, as you, as you sit around, as you eat breakfast or lunch, whatever you're going to do on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, whatever, with family, let that be a pointer beyond itself. This is just a glimmer. This is just a shadow of what is to come. And we long for the new heavens and the new earth where we'll be with Jesus forever, and that will be the consummation of what all Christmas promises in this life and this year. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and then we're going to pray. And then we'll sing together. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name again. We thank you that Jesus is with us. Emmanuel. Jesus didn't look at our predicament from far off and tell us you really got yourself in a mess Jesus came to us the gift given you loved us so much that you gave your son so that we would not perish but have everlasting life so father in this season all the things that come along with Christmas all the promises that are made Help us by your grace to look, um, not to look at them, but to look through them as they are pointers to the ultimate gift of Jesus. Give us grace to see that. God, thank you that you are the gift and the giver. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name.